anxiety, fear, worry, those are things that plague us, aren't they? This text will challenge us and push us a little bit. Word of God reads this way, verse 6, Be anxious for nothing but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brother, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell, reckon, think, meditate on these things. Things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You may be seated. Father in heaven, we ask you and we plead with you that your spirit would be with the preaching of the word today. I cannot do this on my own. I am desperate in need of the one who takes the word of God and spotlights Christ and spotlights these truths into our hearts. And so I plead this morning that the Spirit would help us. Father, we pray that as we wrestle with a very common sin of believers, fear, worry, anxiety, we ask that you would help us, Lord. Help us be men and women who bend our knee and say, Lord, I give you my life again and again, Lord. We know you've saved us. We know we're eternally secure, Lord. But we need that daily help, Lord. And we pray, Lord, as we look for the answers in this text, that we would bend our knee to them and let them pierce our hearts so that you would be most glorified in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd entitled the sermon, Our Savior and Our, and our, our Anxieties. Our Savior and Our Anxieties. This is an interesting text. And held into context, we really begin to see the strength of it. But it is not an easy text because every one of us struggle with anxiety. I have not met a person on the planet that doesn't struggle with anxiety. Now, there may be some who struggle more with it than others. But all of us wrestle with these truths from time. So let me give you my email before we start, because I know I'm going to get letters. It's Miller at gracebiblechurch.org. You can send your emails in after this message. Where is he? He's, I know he's packing, so I need to be careful. I looked up anxiety to do, this week just to see what the world labels it. He said this, Anxiety is an emotion characterized by unpleasant state of inner turmoil, often accompanied by nervous behavior, such as pacing back and forth, somatic complaints, rumination. It is is subjectively unpleasant feeling of dread or anticipating an event that causes the dread, such as feeling of imminent death even can come to that point. Anxiety is not the same as fear, which is a response to a real and perceived immediate threat, whereas anxiety is a speculation of future threat. Anxiety is a fear, a feeling of fear, worry, uneasiness, usually general, generalized and unfocused in an overreaction to a situation that is only subjective, 
consistently seen as a menacing cause. Isn't that interesting? It often accompanies by muscular tension, relentless fatigue, and problems in concentration. Anxiety can be appropriate, but when experienced regularly, the individual may suffer from anxiety disorders. August chapter, August um, 2013, almost two years from now, they came out with a, a study, a worldwide study, and then narrowed it down to Americans because they found it different in America. They said this, over the past two decades, the use of antidepressants has skyrocketed. One in 10 Americans now take antidepressants. That was two years ago, and I think it's gone up since then. Among women in their 40s and 50s, I did not write this, the figure is one in four. Experts have offered numerous reasons. The experts say this, depression must be common. That's their expert opinion. Economic struggles are one of the leading causes of anxiety. In the counseling world, this is what we deal with. People come into the office, they're struggling. It could be marriage, finances, intimacy. It could be a million different things. But, but anxiety is difficult, and you begin to see it rob Christians of joy. And remember, as we look at the book of Philippians, we said the book of Philippians is about the joy giver. I think so many people said, oh, I love reading Philippians because it's about joy. Well, true, but it's about the joy giver. And, and the joy giver does not want Christians weighed down with sinful anxiety. He wants to give us victory over those things. Look back at our scripture reading real quick, Matthew chapter 6. I want to just focus in on the end of what Jesus was saying there. Because I want to give you some hope today, and I, I certainly want to give you biblical solutions because I think they're in our text. But for some, I've heard this text in Philippians taught that, hey, we shouldn't have any problems. We're all Christians. Jesus didn't agree with that statement. Look at verse 34 in our scripture reading, Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. He says, so do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. And look at this last phrase. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Oh, that's, that's our Savior talking. Folks, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that has rejected God from the garden. The ramifications of sin over thousands of years is great within our world. And it causes great distress in our lives. People get shot, run over, divorce, family split. All of that, we feel all of that as Christians. We struggle with health issues. We struggle with contentment, which by the way, the next sermon, the next section is on that. He's really hitting on these everyday issues as he closes out this letter. And Jesus says, look, there's trouble. There's trouble in each day. And, and I think what he's pointing to is sin often comes when we are living beyond today. Men struggle in this. Several things we see in counseling is men struggle with the sin of what they don't have. 
They think out. If I can just get this, if I can just have that, if I can just accomplish this or, or secure this, I'll be good. And this isn't across the board perfectly, but women often struggle with what's in the past. If I wouldn't have done this, I would have had that, or I would have made that choice, or I would have done those things. And, and, and the point is that we find ourselves not living today. We find ourselves either living in days in the past or living in days in the future, and we find ourselves full of anxiety, full of fear, and full of doubt. And it's dangerous. It robs our joy. I'm speaking from a man who wept over this text this week. You, you lose your joy. Steve Fernandez, my dear friend who's with the Lord, said, man, we give up our joy so easily. He says, we need to get on our knees and say, God, I want my joy back. I want my joy back. And if you're willing to look at it, you'll find that I lost it because I'm not content with what God has given me or I'm upset with where he took me. And anxiety builds and it builds and it builds and it destroys relationships and friendships and it becomes a sin issue. Jesus reminds us in this text, what are you worried about? I'll feed you. I'll clothe you. Think about where this lies within what he's about to do. He is about ready to go to a piece of wood and lay his life on it so that your eternal security is secured forever. He did that. He, but yet he knows we're living this world. This text, as you turn back to Philippians chapter 4, is a text that just rocks your world every time you study it. Because like the scriptures, in most cases, unearth issues that we are not bending our knee to. We'll realize, oh Lord, I have been wringing my spiritual hands over issues that you and you alone know how they're going to come about. And we learn to lay back in the Lord. And I, if there's anything you get out of this today, I want you to learn to lay back into the Lord today. Be like his disciples in that upper room who leaned against his bosom. Lean against him today. Lean back into his arms and realize that he is going to take care of the issues that are in your life. When I was a little boy, after I got saved and I began to grow in Christ, I remember the saying coming to me and just wrestling with this saying because uh, I, I was just a normal little boy who you know, was struggling with pride and all those type of things. But I, but I remember one day, just clear as a bell, and I've used this throughout my ministry for many years, of just saying this, God, you did not save me in order to drown me. I don't know why as a young lad that that made sense to me, but it did. And, I, and for 40 years plus years now as a believer, I have reminded myself that, Lord, you did not save me in order to drown me. You love me. And I think that's what Paul's trying to get through. He's trying to refocus us here. And we need it. We need it of all people. We live in the most dangerous place in the world, America. 
We have too much. So we rely on those things and it causes more anxiety. You know, you just got to travel with us a little bit and go overseas and see people who live in grass huts and have nothing. They don't have anything to worry about. They really believe Matthew 6, the Lord has to provide the food for this day. They literally live that way in many cases. So I think this text will, will pierce our hearts if we'll let it today. And I pray that it will rally your strength in the Lord as it did mine again this week. Let's look at a couple of thoughts this morning. One, react to anxiety with fear, excuse me, react to anxiety or fear with prayers of thanksgiving. Your Savior is near. React to anxiety or fear with prayers of thanksgiving. Your Savior is near. Remember in verse four, right at the end of our text last week, and we touched on this, but I think that the context is still flowing here. Let your general spirit be known to all the world. This gospel's affected us. We're no longer angry, mean people. There's a, there's a gentleness, there's a generousness about us now that has come over us since the gospel. But then he says this little statement, the Lord is near. And some people said, oh, he's coming back soon. True, he may be coming back soon, but I don't think that's what he's talking about. He's talking about he's right here with you. He's here in every circumstance that you go through. You know, people write poems of footprints in the sand, that type of stuff, trying to remember this. He's near. And that's the context. He's, he's near with you. And in the verse before that, he says in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. What a great verse. George Whitfield, the great preacher who God used to bring great revival in this country and in Europe, said this, let men and devils do their worst. I will rejoice in the Lord. Yea, I will rejoice. And men and devils, and sometimes you can't tell the difference between them, are trying their best. And they, and they could have presidential seals and uh, wear black robes. I mean, it's, it's amazing what's going on in our world today. And Whitfield reminded his hearers, look, men and devils can do their worst, but we choose, there's a choice that believers have here to rejoice or to fall into depression. And we of all people, redeemed by the blood of Christ, it ran from his veins so that you and I would be saved. Astounding. And yet we worry and we fret. And so Paul says, don't worry, rejoice. And I tell you again, rejoice. I'm not going to say it once, I'm going to remind you again, rejoice in the Lord. And the Lord is near, he's listening, he's here. And I think the answer is just amazing, it's, it's prayer. It's prayer within this verse. Notice he says at the beginning of verse 6, he says, literally, in no way be anxious. He actually used an imperative there. It's a command. You know, and we know command forms, right? We know imperatives. You hear me talk about that all the time as I preach. They're, they're not suggestions. Um, they're not, well, maybe when you get around to this, they are commands. And it's interesting. He literally says, be anxious for nothing. Or, or literally, I wrote in my notes, in no way, in no ways, be anxious. The Lord is near. And I read that and I go, man, Lord, I hear it here, but I struggle here. 
What about this? And, and what about that? And, and, and this could happen. You ever get that world clock email that comes every once in a while and shows you how many people are dying every second? <laughs> you look at that and you go, hmm. <laughs> There's a lot of people dying every second. And the cancer statistics, oh my goodness. I don't know who's putting that stuff out. Maybe the people are selling the drugs to fix the cancer. So I don't know, but it's, it's scary when you read some of that stuff. And your children, oh my goodness, your children. What's going to happen to our next generation? See, this is all going through, and Paul, is, he's aware of this. He knows this. He lives within a very anxious society, a world dominated by a Roman, a Roman world that presses their deity of their religious leaders onto people. And soon after this is written, they'll kill Christians for sport. In no way... Be anxious, he starts it out. It's a strong statement here in verse six. But notice, he says, because you're, you're a people of prayer. No way be anxious, because in everything, you're gonna pray, and you're gonna petition, and you're gonna come with supplication, with thanksgiving in your, in your heart and in your mind, because he ties that into verse seven, and you're gonna let that be known to the Lord. He gives the answer to our anxieties. Do you pray enough? Anybody want to come up here and say, I pray more than I need to? I'm all, I'm all out of prayers. I mean, I just... We just don't. And, and, and just think for a moment who Paul's telling you to pray to. Oh my goodness. Pray to the one who holds all things in his hand. Pray to the creator of all things. He knows all things, sees all things. Literally, the Bible is replete with, with uh, verses that tells you that all things are before him. There's a Hebrew word that he uses that past, present, future, all things are right before him. This way he can judge when judgment comes. It'll all be right here. The past all the way back to Adam and Eve and all the way back into the early passages of Genesis to the last person on earth. All that is in his face is right there. He sees it all. That's who you're praying to. We don't pray to some tree, some piece of wood somebody carved out. We pray to the creator. See, my anxiety goes down when I think about that right off the bat. I begin to go, oh, yes, this is the God of Hebrews 4.13. All things are laid bare before him. Hmm. See, when you wrestle with this, you come to the conclusion that there's not a creature on this earth that's not in the sight of God. That's Hebrews 4.13. Not one creature is not in the sight of God. At all times, in all of, and he's not bound by time, so all time in its, its ever existence, and every creature that's ever existence is before him. And then it goes on to say this, because I want you to, you go, well, well, man, that's a big God. He's got a lot to do. And then he says this at the end. He's, everything is open to him, laid bare before him, to the eyes of him with whom, now listen to this, we have to do. It makes it very personal. And you and I begin to realize God is watching. 
He is there, he's near. See why Paul said, hey, he's near. When you pray to a God who is near, it changes your prayers. You don't maybe start out with a list of things you think you need. You start out with, hallowed be your name. You start out with worshipful. Look with me at Romans chapter 11. I just, I want to ride this just a little bit longer of who we actually pray to. Romans chapter 11, verse 33, and then following, he has just concluded this amazing passage. Paul has laid his own salvation on the line for the desire to see his people, the nation of Israel, saved. Great theological truths are in 9 through 11. And at the end of this mind-blowing truths that he lays out, he gives us these three verses, and they are portions out of Isaiah and Psalms. He says this, verse 33, Oh, the depths and the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. That literally, the idea is you can't get to the end of him. You trail down a path of God and there comes five more paths that come to that. And on the end of that are five more paths that lead to the depth and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. He's endless. And if I had a dollar for every time somebody asked me, what are we going to do in eternity? Oh my goodness, that's what you're going to do in eternity. (laughs) Forever. You're never going to come to the end of God. And every day and every night, and well, there is no day and night, but all day long, you are going to enjoy and be overwhelmed and, and in the most splendid joy you've ever been in as you search the ways of God. And he shares those with us. This unfathomable is a great word. I hope we don't change this in some of our modern Bibles. But it's the idea of plumbing the depths. And Paul knew this. He had sailed on ships to Rome. He had sailed uh, across in his missionary journeys. And, and as they come into the harbor, there's somebody yelling fathoms. Because they're getting into lower ground. And finally they get into certain ground. And they're, they need to now anchor now because they can't go any farther. But as they leave, they reverse that. And they keep saying the fathoms that they're at as they leave the harbor. And finally they get to the point and they go, Unfathomable. It's deeper than we can, we can ever imagine, and we can't tell you how deep it is. I like that. That makes sense to me. Oh, God, you are unfathomable. Then he says this, verse 34, Who has known the mind of the Lord, and who has become his counselor? The world right now thinks they're the counselor of God. They're trying to redefine his marriage. They're trying to re- redefine who he is, and what he likes, and what he doesn't like. They're redefining him. And, and he says, who's been his counselor? You don't, you don't want to be that person, that man or woman who stands before God and says, well, you know, I didn't like your view on this. First of all, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. See, I just, I want to push us a little bit of who we talk to when we pray. And part of the problem is we don't talk to him enough. And then we worry and fret and we become full of anxiety. Who are you talking to? You're talking about an unfathomable God. One that no one can counsel because he's not wrong in any areas. I need counsel because I'm wrong at times in my life. 
Every once in a while, they'll just come up and go, Scott, you're just playing wrong on that. They go, here's, here's a text. I go, wow, man, I missed that, didn't I? See, I'm wrong. My, my loving wife will, in a very, very godly way, would say, honey, you didn't handle that very good. Yeah, I didn't. I need to go ask the boys to forgive me for that. Not God. Never is anyone going to come to him and say, you mishandled something. In fact, even the most wicked will fall before him and realize he is right and just in everything he does. See, this is who you're praying to. This is who relieves anxiety. This is why you have to study the Bible. If you don't study or read or put yourself under the preaching or be involved in small groups and study together, your view of God starts to change and you start to drift and pretty soon you start to get these ungodly thoughts about God and pretty soon young people are denying him and other people are drifting away from the faith and oh, you got to study. you got to read God's word. Now turning back to our text, I, I love the answer to the prayer and the answer to our anxiety is to pray to this all-knowing sovereign God with thanksgiving in your heart to relieve anxiety. He wants you to pray to this all-knowing sovereign God so you can find relief in anxiety. There, notice the prayers are full of thanksgiving. We get our word Eucharist from this. We have prayers that are full of thanksgiving. Maybe a good time today to say, Lord, my prayers have been full of all kinds of things but Thanksgiving. Maybe the most thankful thing I said this week is, thank you for this food, let's eat. See, when our hearts are grateful, our fears are relieved. When our hearts are not grateful, our fears expand. See, Paul knows that. The word of God, spirit of God's writing through him. It's coming out of him. Make your requests known to the Lord. Make them through thanksgiving. This is just Pauline. It's David. It's, it's all through the Bible. Listen to verses. Colossians chapter four, verse two. Devote yourself to prayer. Keep alert, in, keep alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Colossians chapter four, verse two. First Peter chapter five, verse seven. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I thought this word cast was Lebano, but it's not. Uh, it's, it's only used one other time. And you know what it was used? Cast, it was used to those who worshipfully threw their coats in front of the donkey as Christ rose it in. It's the only other place it's used. Worshipfully, and I thought about it, I go, oh God, we cast things all the time. Like, here God, fix this. <laughs> right? It's instead, bend the knee. God, I, I see you as worthy of worship and I bend the knee to you and I offer these things and I come before you because I cannot do this on my own, but I know you can. And I'm grateful that you're in my life and I'm grateful that you saved me and I'm grateful that you won't leave me and you're near to me. See, see that kind of expression? That's casting, that's worshipfully casting your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And look, you can say you care for your loved one, but you're never around. I met with deadbeat dads. Well, I still care for her. You don't live with her, you don't care for her, you don't feed her, you don't cover her, you don't do any of that. You try to tell me you care. That's not your God. He's right there with you. Moment by moment, he is with you. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. Cast your cares. 
How foolish we carry so much, don't we? You know, if we could see the spiritual baggage sometimes on our shoulders. How you doing? Good. <laughs> what a horrible feeling that is when we do that. And you and I do it, don't we? Be honest. How much do we carry every day and we go, I never prayed about it. I made some major life-changing decision for my family. I never prayed about it. Can we call ourselves fools when we do that? I think that would be appropriate. David says this. Psalm 62.11. Once God had spoken twice, I've heard this, that the power belongs to God. Wow. Power belongs to God. So, so the God who owns all things, controls all things, yeah, I don't think I'm going to ask him anything. I think I'm just going to do this on my own. See how foolish it is? Psalms 95.2, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with, with psalms of praise. 1 Peter chapter 1 says he holds through his power of his hand, holds our salvation in it. Promises to make sure that you know that he'll never leave you. The writer of Hebrews says, I'll never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. 2 Corinthians 1.21 says, for as many as are the promises of God in him, that's Christ, they are yes. Therefore also through him, we are amen to the glory of God through us. We agree with him. And you go, well, Scott, okay, that's good times. What about suffering? Listen to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. After you have suffered for a little while, Jesus promised himself that we were going to go through trials and tribulations. He said, the God of all grace. Oh, I love that little phrase. A, if, when you read it, it's constructed. First of all, it sets your suffering. Then there's those little parentheses, the God of all grace. Because <laughs> you don't want to forget who's going to do this who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, because that's how you come to him, through Christ, and you get his eternal glory that comes through Jesus Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, and strengthen, and establish you. It's a promise from God. I love Philippians 1.6. We had a great time in that. The beginning of the study, it said, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. You go, well, I don't feel like I'm perfected yet. You're not. You still got time. He may turn the roaster oven up a little bit, but he's going to get you right where he wants you. Are you going to come willingly? Or are you going to come with a person full of anxiety? See, when I, I read this, I go, oh, Lord, it's hard for me to fall into the sin of anxiety when I'm here. One other sin that I think goes with anxiety is a sinful doubt. When you and I, in a sense, when we don't go to him, there's a sinful doubt. Why didn't you pray about it? Maybe because you didn't believe he was going to do what you wanted him to do. Or maybe he was going to give you an answer you didn't want. See, sinful doubt will add to your anxiety. And, and the reason is because you fail to believe him. And we, and we don't hold to a biblical knowledge and say, I know my God, I believe him. 
We sing a song, we believe. I love that song. And we believe and it goes down through sayings that we, we, we have, that we hold to because that's what strengthens us. Maybe tomorrow morning you need to wake up and you need to say, Lord, I believe I was a sinner. I believe you came and you died on a cross and you took away my sin. I believe I'll reside with you in eternity forever. And I believe you're going to help me in this life as we get to that point. Maybe you just got to say that. Maybe that'll help you. Two. Verse seven, peace or anxiety. (laughs) Which one's going to rule your heart and mind? Peace or anxiety, which one is going to rule your heart and mind? Look at the text. Peace of God, which passes all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It seems as though that the Lord allows us to choose whether we want peace or anxiety. And isn't it interesting that he's talking about anxiety, but he keeps using the word peace in the context. Because if you're anxious, you have no And if you have peace, you have control over. Yeah, so you got it. And that's what he's doing. It seems as though God is saying, if you want to pray to me and petition me with thanksgiving, I will give you peace. Lord, I'm worried about this. Would you give me peace? Would you cause me to trust you in this I can't see where it's all going to glow. You've, you've only given me this, this certain amount of distance. I can't see. So I'm asking you to help me trust you. Would you give me peace in that? Is that a hard prayer? Why don't we pray it enough then? Lord, help me. So we, we have a, a, an understanding here that, that Paul's saying, ask. Ask in thanksgiving. Receive peace. And then look what this heart and mind, I was fascinated with this little phrase, will guard, it's the same term of a soldier's work. He uses the same, same verb there. And remember, he's writing from house arrest imprisonment, and he's pinning this down, and he looks over and goes, hmm, I got a better guard. I don't think this guy could fight off the masses that would like to kill me. But I know one who can guard not only my body, but he can guard my mind and my heart. And he says, look, there is a peace that can guard your mind and heart. And you go, Paul doesn't understand my, my issue. You go, He's chained to people. <laughs> he understands. Think about this. When anxiety rules our hearts and minds, massive problems happen. First of all, how do you feel when anxiety rules your heart and mind? How do you feel as a person, physically, spiritually, emotionally? How do you feel when you are gripped with anxiety? We've all been there. How do you feel? Is that a great feeling? Like, boy, let's do this again. (laughs) Second question, are you very fun to live with when you're gripped by fear and anxiety? All the elbows that are in the ribs, pull them out (laughs) because you're difficult too. See, you, it just, it messes us up. I mean, I just kept thinking about some questions. I won't read them all, but how does it affect your marriage? How does it affect your parenting? How does it affect your discernment? Boy, we need discernment in this world today. 
When I'm gripped with fear and anxiety and I have some major decisions to make, or I need to discern between good and evil and difficulties that are happening, um, family situations, whatever it may be, and I'm gripped by fear, my discernment is poor. So how does it affect that? See, we can give up the peace of God for anxiety. Now, let's be clear here. The peace that he's talking about is not the peace you receive at salvation. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says that we receive a peace from God that is a salvitic peace, meaning we're no longer at war with him. But he's talking about a life-changing daily peace of resting in him in these texts. And it's, it's the opposite of the anxiety that we have. And he says this, that, that this peace of God in verse 7 surpasses all comprehension. Literally, all understanding. This is a peace that's mind-blowing at times, experiences you go through. You hear people say this. They'll say, man, God just gave me a peace in that situation. It wasn't me. I just, I finally just rested in him and believed him. And, and this peace came over me and I knew, I knew he had led me to the right decision. Or they've gone through death experiences. And they almost died. Maybe it was on an operating table or in, or in an uh, auto wreck or some sort or something. And they'll tell you, all I could do was pray. I was pinned. I couldn't do anything. Or, or it, it looked like this was the end. All I could do was turn to God and say, God, I trust you. And they'll say, an amazing peace came over me. Because they were forced to pray. We see you and I in a daily routine. We're not forced. We get up, eat our cereal, head out the door. Instead, starting our day and saying, Lord, I need you. Listen to Isaiah 26, 3. He says this, the steadfastness, the steadfast of mind. He's talking about a group of individuals, if there is one in Israel at this time. The steadfast of mind, you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. See, the one who is steadfast, that's a person who trusts the scriptures. That person, he says, God will keep in perfect peace because he trusts you. Now, he is telling them that destruction's coming and God is going to level Israel. And they're going to go to judgment and they're going to go to Babylon and it's going to be over. And, but he says, the one who is steadfast, God is going to give him a perfect peace. Can you think of anybody that that happened to? How about Daniel and his three friends? Read their life. God gave him great peace. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now may the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. David wrote in Psalms 29, 11, the Lord will give, you strength, give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. And then listen to the, our Lord Jesus Christ. What he said, John 14, 26, 27. Listen to this. Peace I leave with you. You know this verse. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Passive tense. He, you don't earn it. He gives it to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. They're, they're, theirs is a, not a very good peace they give. Do not let your heart be troubled, full of anxiety, nor let it be fearful. Oh, by the way, they're going to kill me. That's what he said in John 14. But all along the way, he keeps saying, you'll find peace in me, you'll find peace in me. That's the answer. One, one last thought in this verse before I quickly finish the last two. Look at this. It says that your heart and minds are guarded in Christ Jesus. 
They're not guarded in your, your finances. They're not guarded in your health because that can lose any time and your finances. They said everybody's 401ks are not totally back from the crash. And then Greece blows up this last week and the market goes, and everybody gets nervous again because, oh man, my future. You can't put your trust in that. You can't put your trust in your own powers, your own abilities. One good earthquake scares the tar out of California, doesn't it? Reminds us that you have no control. Right? Your house starts rocking and rolling and, and uh, you're just along for the ride and just hope you're not on the Bay Bridge. You have nothing you can do. You know, you can't get out and try to hold the ground. Some people think maybe they could do that, but they can't. See, trust in Jesus and who he is, is is what changes our life. For he's God. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 tells us he's a fullness of deity revealed in bodily form and we're in him and so we're in Christ and that's, that's where you're going to find peace. You're not going to find it in all these things. And yet we work so hard to try to find it in anything else. Oh, brothers and sisters, find your peace in Christ. Knock on his door every day. Like the widow who came to the king and kept bugging her and bugging her. And the king finally said, as Jesus reports, give her what she wants because she's not going to stop. And Jesus says, pray this way. Get peace from the Lord Jesus. He'll give it to you. Third, victory over anxiety through the beauty of Christ in his word. He says finally in verse 8, and that doesn't mean he's quitting. I think he's coming to the final conclusion of how to beat anxiety. Listen to this verse. When I read it, I want you to think of what can fulfill these words. Now think about it. Brethren, he's talking to believers here, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, if there is any excellence in anything worthy of praise, dwell, meditate, reckon is the idea. Ruminate, keep bringing this stuff up over and over and over upon these things. What comes to your mind? What, what can describe this? I mean, there's some things I think of my wife here, my family, my church. But all of those things can fall short, right? I, I believe firmly as I've studied this, he's talking about Christ and his word. Think about it now. What else can do this type of stuff? What else, what else can bring you? What can fulfill this description? Think about Christ. He is true. He, he himself said, I am, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. I'm truth. Government's not truth. My followers are not truth in and of themselves. I am truth. He's he's one that is the standard of all truth. Think about the word honorable means to be revered or worship something. You can't put anything else in there. I can't even put my wife in that section because I can't worship her. I can't put her above God. It is, I think Paul's saying, these are the things you need to dwell on. These are the things you need to meditate on. Think about his reverence. Think about his worshipfulness of who he is. Next, he says, 
He's right. Whatever is right. The word, we get the idea of a righteousness or an unchanging standard. People say, well, why doesn't Christ ever change? He doesn't have to change. He's not wrong in anything, ever. So he is the standard of righteousness. He's beautiful to look on. This is the idea of pure. He's holy. He's morally perfect. He's clean. He's undefiled. This word lovely is a sweet, gracious, generous, beautifully patient person. Paul says, you've got to think on these things. Oh, this is Christ. Now, insert the word of God here in this area. The word of God and the gospel. Well, the word of God is true. It's absolutely trustworthy. We go to the bank on this book. We're going to go to jail on this book <laughs> someday. Some, get ready, guys. Because we believe it. It's true. If it isn't, we're in trouble. Because then we've got to allegorize everything. We go, well, that's not true, but this is, and that's not. And we've got a Bible full of holes. It's either true from the beginning to the end, or it's not true at all, right? What if I meditate on truth? I'll probably deal better with the falsehood that causes my anxiety. Think about the word of God from a standard of honorable. We here at Grace hold a high view of the scriptures. We hold a high view of the gospel. The gospel draws us to worship. It's honorable. The word of God is honorable. It it's, it's, gives us everything we need for life and godliness. And it brings us and draws us into worship. It's right. The word of God is a perfect standard for our lives. The gospel is what the world needs. It's what we need to repeat to ourselves on a daily basis. It's pure. The word of God is clear. It's without error. It's undefiled by men. The gospel is pure because Mark 1.14 and Romans 1 say that it's the gospel of God. God made the gospel. And it's lovely because it's the most beautiful truth man could ever hear. I have heard sermons on this text. I've read commentaries this week that talked about a lot of other things that maybe they thought this was, but I, I, none of that stuff can end my anxiety. Christ and the word of God can end it. It can be the answer that I struggle with when I turn to him. Do you want to beat, you want to beat anxiety? Thank you. It's hard. It's hard. Let's be honest. We, want, we don't want it. Dwell, meditate, ruminate, reckon, think deeply about Christ and the word and the gospel. Every time your mind goes to some fears that are gripping you, what if he does this or what if she does that or what if they say this and what, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? Oh Lord. I trust that you died on a cross for me. You know what I'm going through. I put my life in your hands. Will you help me through this? Will you give me wisdom and discernment? Some of you have such amazing jobs. I I think about your jobs and I go, man, I hope they're praying. Because they have some decisions that affect me. Some of you have been given such incredible jobs that affect the world and the way it functions. Some of you have children in your home that you make choices for and and you you need to choose rightly. Oh, dwell on these things. Meditate on these things. Let your heart be consumed with them. As I go to the last thought, let me just really want to be practical here. 
Maybe you need to go home. You need to write down a list of things that cause anxiety in your life. And then you need to write counterpoints of the word of God, of the glory of Christ, and the gospel to each one of those. Write them down. Wouldn't it be fun to get rid of this stuff? I ha- People said, they'll come into my office and say, Pastor, I've always worried and fretted over A, B, C. Always? Always. It was a little girl or, or a little boy, I worried about this. Christ can beat it. He is sufficient for it. Now, I love the fourth thought. Did I put that up there? Prayer must turn to practice in order to have victory over anxiety. I want to do this quickly, but he uses the word paso here. This, it's an imperative again. He, he's, he's saying that you must repeat or practice these things continual. Notice in verse 9, these things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Notice all the senses that are there, right? You learned them, you received them, you heard them, you saw them, everything. What I did, I led you, I led you to Christ. Then he says, here's the word that's the imperative, this proso here. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So prayer must turn to practice. You can't say, well, I prayed about it, but nothing happened. Well, did you do anything? Did you actually say, well, I've prayed about this, now I'm going to act on this. I choose to rejoice and trust the Lord in this area. There's practice. And you go, what does that look like? Well, Paul said this about himself. He said, for I am determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. If you go into my office, it's written on my wall in large letters. So Pastor Scott reminds himself every day when he sees that. Oh, well, I'm worried about this. He said, I'm worried about the cross. I'm consumed with the cross and Jesus Christ in everything. I don't know anything else. I just know the cross. So I go, well, how does that mean in healthcare? (laughs) Hmm, Jesus died for me. He's not going to let Obamacare destroy me. Did I say that? (laughs) Right? I mean, seriously, we have such changing stuff going on. We're wrestling with the church. He died for me. His blood ran for Scott Menez. They pierced him. God judged him for Scott's sins. Every one of them, he put them on his son for me. And you're worried about health care. Oh God, I pray that you will take care of our family. You will meet our needs. Our life is in your hands. Help us trust you. I need to pray this several times a day right now, Lord, because... We got struggles or something going on, but I'm going to trust you, Lord. You, 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 you came, you saved me, and you're not going to drown me. Do you need to pray that prayer? Second, Second Timothy 2.15, he says to rightly divide the word of God. Are you rightly dividing the word of God? Are you dividing the word of God at all? Jeff hit us last week. We're halfway through the year. Are you reading? I can't say, well... Lord, I don't know what to pray because you don't know the Bible. Read the Bible. You'll know what to pray. See, he says, do these things. I want to close with just one text. Chapter 3 of Colossians. Go over one book and I promise we'll be done. Remember, don't forget Jeff Dot Miller. Grace. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. 
wait a minute. That's what he said to the Philippians. <laughs> because anxiety wants to rule our heart. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart to which indeed you were called into one body. And then here it is, be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Whoa, same verb? Dwell? See, he wants you to dwell in the word of God. You go, well, I'm anxious. Well, you probably don't read the Bible enough. And you don't talk to him enough. And so we get anxious, you and I both. Let it dwell with you with all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thanksgiving in your heart. There it is again. Oh, it is well with my soul. I feel terrible. Hmm. And then look what he says, verse 17. Here's the practice. Whatever you do in word and deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to the God and the Father. What are you? What do you do? I'm an engineer. I'm a salesman. I'm a nurse. I'm a doctor. I'm a cop. I'm a pastor. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm whatever it is, do it for the glory of the Lord. Say, Lord, I want to do it for you today. I'm going to go to work and I've been stressing out of these things. I'm going to work today for you. I'm going to drive every nail. I'm going to fill out every form and I'm going to give you the glory for it. Will you help me do it? Ask him. You have not because you ask not, he tells us. And I promise anxiety will start to flee. Father, there's so much more to be said on this text and I feel as though we... We could preach it over and over because these are real issues, Lord, we wrestle with. They're hard, Lord. We, we battle with things that consume our minds. And Lord, we'll often turn to worldly things to find rest and contentment. And then we'll find that that doesn't work. They come right back as soon as we come home from vacation or as soon as we have to deal with it again. So Lord, our answer is Jesus, and it is the gospel. And that's what Paul's trying to get us to, Lord. So I pray that you would help us. Lord, may we not be a church full of uh, warrior warts and people full of anxiety. God, may Grace Bible Church be a group of people that lay those things down daily before the cross. And then you give us victory over those things, Lord. May it be well with my soul, whatever you bring, because we've been talking to you, we've been living for you, we've been chasing you. And we can sing, well, it is well with my soul. Lord, thank you for this message. May it pierce our hearts as we go. May it not be just a Sunday message, but at Monday, may it ring true as much as it did today. In Jesus' name.